the not a foodie studio in beautiful greenpoint brooklyn it's the not a foodie show Yay! i feel like it's the Muppet show <laughs> i just want to see what octave you can hit <laughs> i am tommy alley and across from me as always is it's mike moranti how you doing hey mike and we are your not a foodie co-hosts this is a podcast radio show about food and food culture and game of thrones and and apparently game of thrones why are we talking about Game of Thrones? Because there's two episodes left, and it's the biggest television phenomenon of all time, and because it was all over news, and Instagram, and Twitter, and food news. Why was it all over food news uh, this week? Because uh, Queen Daenerys Targaryen, mother of dragons, breaker of chains, leader of the free men, was uh, <laughs> sipping a little PSL in... Uh, <laughs> Midway through the... Uh, That's a pumpkin spice latte for, for all of you uh, that are not in the know. The victory party of defeating the army of the dead in the Night King. <laughs> you're spoiling this it's show. It's not a spoiler if it's a week late. Uh, Sorry, okay. you, you all right. an entire week, an entire... All right, spoiler alert. times seven <laughs> to watch this. So, so the news story was that there was a big party in Game of Thrones, a big victory party, and everyone is drinking ale from... Elkhorns and big steins and things like that, and then off to the side in front of Daenerys Targaryen is a nice little uh, coffee cup, which everyone assumed was a Starbucks cup because of the the shape of it. But I've read that it's gone. There that is no not Starbucks in winter. There in are no Winterfell. Starbucks in Winterfell, um, in all of Westeros. It's only only Pete's. <laughs> so um, so it was not a Starbucks cup, but. Uh, what I found fascinating about this whole thing is that Starbucks is getting all the uh, all of this free publicity. Like I read some like billions of dollars. Yeah, like I read some article. Like it's just billions of dollars worth of free press that well, they're getting. Well, also those. HBO does the whole point of HBO is that they don't have advertising. Right like, on Entourage when they did the uh, the Don Pepe's arc or the uh, Tequila arc or all that, they paid those people to use their stuff. They paid those people to use their like, stuff. They, what yes. do you mean? Like, Entourage paid Avion. Oh, use okay. Avion, Avion okay. didn't pay Entourage. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. And I'm supposed to be the media, marketing, advertising, PR guy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah. So there's 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 some food news for you to, to kick off the week. Um, what what else? What other food news do you have? Anything? Yeah, I have a really good story. Okay. Um, restaurant refuses to grate cheese for customer seafood dish, calls in an obscene request. Wait, what? A, a restaurant refused to grate cheese on a seafood. It was a. Uh, let me get the name of the dish. Uh, but it's a, an Italian seafood dish, yes. and they wouldn't grate cheese on it. Oh, crab ravioli in a cream salmon sauce. Okay. So uh, all right, the guy thought that the dish needed a little something, and he asked for Parmesan cheese, which he spelled wrong in his TripAdvisor review. <laughs> That's a whole different. If you spell Parmesan, P A. P-A-R-M-E-S-A-N. That's not cheese. That's sawdust that comes out of a green can. Parmigiano-Reggiano <laughs> yeah. is a very specific cheese that has really strict They're standards. completely different. They're completely different. One is good and one is garbage, yes. Yes. 
Well, one is garbage. one is made up, and one is you know a cheese. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, the restaurant refused to grate cheese on top of it. He refused to grate cheese on top of it. He uh, <laughs> then he wrote a one star TripAdvisor uh, review, uh-huh. and the guy replied. There are a few rules on the authentic Cucina Italiana you probably aren't aware. Never ask for pineapple on pizza. Never put cream on your carbonara. Never ask for Alfredo pasta. Who is Alfredo anyway? Never put chicken on arrabbiata. I, I didn't know that was a rule, but okay. I didn't know that was a rule either. And last but not least, never, never, ever ask for cheese on a fish dish. Whenever I raised my voice, it was in capitals. <laughs> oh, okay. It wasn't just me. I thought you were just shouting. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was shouting, so I had to reply. Okay. With, read it with so, 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 I, I. Wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because this is me as an industry professional. Yes. We have a rule. You can tell a guest, you can advise a guest to do something or not do something, but like if they want to ruin their uh, porterhouse and get it well done, they're paying. They're the ones paying right. one hundred and twenty dollars for the porterhouse. They want to pay thirty dollars for a crab ravioli. They want cheese on it. They're the ones paying your bills. Yep. So I what I do because we do a lobster. Now we do a crab pasta. We just switched over from a lobster pasta. Okay. Uh, people would ask for cheese, and I would tell them. We recommend to not put any cheese on a seafood pasta dish, but if you would like some, I'm more than happy to get it for you. Nine times out of ten, then they won't get it. But if they ask for it, then we get yeah, it. Yeah, then you got to give it to them. And then we grade fresh Parmigiano Reggiano on top on top of it. Well, I so that that was my thought. So I have I have two things that I want to say about this. Number one, I agree with you 100. You're paying for a meal. You you recommend as a server, you you recommend that we don't do this. You know, I'm not going to put cheese on top of your pasta, or we recommend that we're not putting cheese on top of your pasta. Like, that's fine. If the customer is insistent, then the customer is always right. That person is paying a lot of money for their meal. They should be able to, you know, put sawdust on it if they want or whatever. Um, but number two, what do you feel about, how do you feel about shrimp parmesan? Um, it's fried, so it's different. All right. When you're breading something and frying it, it's not like, it's not... Uh, Delicate. Okay, so you, you know, you're like, okay with that? Yeah, because right. it, it's not a it, it's not a delicate thing anymore. It's like a it's a crunchy fried dish. Okay, because I was so. gonna say because shrimp parmesan is one of those things. I also I mean I put cheese on uh, certain dishes. Like I'll put I'll put grated cheese on top of like um, a puntanesca. I put a little bit of cheese on top of a puntanesca, which is a seafood-based pasta, but it's got really, really assertive flavors. But with that, you're using pecorino, right? Because it's so... I'll like, use pecorino it, yeah. for that, yeah. Pe- the difference between pecorino and parmesan is parmesan is more of a richer, nuttier cheese, and pecorino is a more in-your-face, like, salty cheese. And that uh, puntanesca sauce is so intense already, if you use the parmesan, it would get lost. You yeah. You need to use the pecorino to Absolutely. Really... And that's also a little different because it's just such a pungent dish. What about linguine and clams, vagnol? What do you know? No, no. I, I do just because it's what I grew up with. Yeah. And I, I like can't... it. And it has to be a pecorino. It's not a parmesan. I just can't imagine. Do I, I want to eat the garlic and the clams and the white wine and the lemon. Yeah, no cheese on that. But, okay, so. But th- this wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Okay. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. <laughs> so you're like, no, you gave me that look, but you'll eat um, baked clams that have. Garlic and oregano and breadcrumbs and cheese in them. I think the breadcrumbs are the big thing for me. Because okay. once you're bread it, breading it, it's just a, a different dish. All right. All um, right. I will accept that. But I will also say that there are dishes that I, there are seafood, Italian seafood dishes that I will absolutely put cheese on top of. 
and I'm and, fine with that. And my view and, is I don't really care. Like, do your thing. Well, like, I'm my view is also like screw all of the old rules. It, like, people should do whatever the, the they cream want. Cream in the carbonara. Don't you dare do that. No, there's so many better ways to get creamy yeah. carbonara than to add cream yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. The, all of his other rules, I agreed with the our chicken and arabiata thing. I don't. I've never heard of before, but isn't arabiata just spicy? Like it's just uh, like a spicy yeah, tomato sauce, yeah, right? There's no like rules for arabiata. No, I, I've never heard that rule. I feel like I'm gonna have to do some research on that rule. <laughs> um, even if I don't agree with it, I want to know where that rule came from. I don't really like throwing grilled chicken on top of pasta, though. I don't either. I hate. I hate that. Unless you're doing a cacciatore, I usually do not like chicken in pasta. Period. Yeah. Um, all right, I've got some. I've got some food news. I've got food news, and then I've got a. I've got one article, and then I've got. Uh, something that I think is sort of interesting. So, um, have you heard about the uh, the white wine emoji? No. So emoji news. Okay. It's emoji news. White wine aficionados up in arms about emoji snub. This is in the New York Post. So it's officially white wine season. And no, it's not. Well, that's what the no white wine w h i n e white uh, wine oh. wine. Oh season. well, it's always yeah. white wine season. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you if I've learned anything on the internet. So basically, um, vinters and aficionados are up in arms over the glaring absence of an official white wine emoji on iPhones and Android devices. Apparently, Kendall Jackson, uh, which is a, a winemaker, biggest Chardonnays in the yes, world. they have been lobbying for a year to Unicode, which is the organization that creates emojis, to have a white wine emoji. Um, and they have not, up until this point, added a white wine or a rosé emoji. So, I am outraged, quote, said New York City wine auctioneer Charles Anton. The lack of a white wine or rosé emoji is our Mueller report in the wine business. Give me a break. It's the oh thing God. that everyone is focused on. Can, I, what's this guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> He's a wine auctioneer. What's his, his name? name? Is Charles Anton. I'm at war with him. <laughs> Are you Vendetta. kidding me? <laughs> Out of all the things I knew in the world, it, I knew that if I that when I <laughs> picked this article, that it would make you crazy. Out I, of out of like actual things that matter. Well, the guy's a wine auctioneer, so he has no like concept of what real people do. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm I'm so ang just angry. Wait, I love this. There's there's this other guy, Mark Oldman, who's a wine expert. He's uh the author of How to Drink Like a Billionaire. Um, I've never read that book, I've but never heard he of it. you know he said I was at a wine auction two weeks ago and we were drinking an amazing I don't know I'm not even gonna pronounce it. Try uh Domaine Le Fleuve Montrachet. Okay, you got it. All right, uh -huh. which is not only one of the world's best white wines, it's one of the world's best wines. Period. Yes, and. We wanted to Instagram about it, and there was no way to do it, he says. There's no, there I know, no I know. way we, we couldn't physically take a photo of this bottle of wine and upload it. That is crazy. <laughs> it just, it, they wouldn't let us do it. Yes. No, I mean, I do think that rosé is having its moment. There should be a rosé emoji, and it would be all over the place. I, but I think that these people are, are a little bit full of themselves. They and are everything overestimating that's wrong with the <laughs> with wine, wine industry. With wine, right? When when like Zach was on, or when we had other people on talking about how like oh we're you know like wine's cool. Wine wine isn't like uh, this snobby thing anymore. I, if someone showed me that article, I wouldn't have any way to. Ca I can't say anything. Like, <laughs> you can't say anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm never at a loss for words. Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I I think that this whole thing is ridiculous. Um, I hate him. 
Yeah, they, they call it an injustice. There's so many, like, there's so many strong I don't think that guy words. knows what the Mueller report is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, if he does know what, what it uh. is, he is overestimating his importance in the world. I'm talking about this guy's importance in the world if he thinks that. Oh, the lack of like, a white wine emoji is... This is our Auschwitz. <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> like, this... <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. <laughs> so, here's another... This article was written this week in Serious Eats, and I think that it's... Um, I, I, I just want to read some of this to you. It's basically, you're all monsters, are very correct food opinions, and it's just opinions by... People that work for Serious Eats. Oh, cool. This yes. is, I feel like this is something they should have interviewed me on. <laughs> yes, I know. This is why when I, I said so I'm not even going to prep let, you on let's this. Just go, let's go and we'll say agree or disagree. Okay. So um, uh, Grace Chen, who's the office manager and associate podcast producer, cool. says that oatmeal should only be eaten savory, not sweet. Like with, what? what's a savory oatmeal? Like um, brown sugar? Like... Uh, no, 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 no. Like, like just raw oatmeal? Just raw oatmeal with a fried egg on top, some pickled cucumbers, some pork, things um, like that. I've never had oatmeal. Like, I would try it. I would try it too. And I, so I have, I have no opinion on this. Yeah. I've, um, I haven't had a say, I think regular, just plain oatmeal without anything in it, it's disgusting. Well, I, so. But if you're putting pickled cucumbers and stuff, there's going to be I lots think of that's flavor. Good. Yeah. 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 So, okay, I would try it. And um, that might be something that changes this one, your view. This one is weird. So this is their social media editor. I'm not going to name all the, no. all the people. But this is their social media editor. Banana, bananas should only be eaten while still green. They taste the zestiest when they're underripe. Yellow bananas, especially, God forbid, spotty yellow bananas, taste like sad, flat mush and should only be used for smoothies. There's, um, there's like a one day while you have bananas where it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And right after, it's, I'd say it's with a day right when there's no more green, like yeah. where it was a little green yesterday. Yes. And then the next day, that's the perfect day, and then after that. It's, it's... the Chiquito window. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we, we are naming that, the Chiquito window. Right now, this is the time that you should eat bananas. Um, all right, here you go. Kenji Lopez-Alt, uh-huh. who, you know, who I... Who way I'm, more than, about food than I do. And me, too. Um, he says, I think that the majority of pizzas in the world would be better as Hawaiian. You know what? And there's silence in the room. You know what Hawaiian pizza is. It's pineapple and, and actually, ham. you know what? Okay, so here's my thing with with pineapple on pizza. It, my friends like to get really stoned and ordered P- Domino's and they get pineapple on pizza. And guess what? That's not pizza. That's junk food. That's Domino's. Go ahead. Well, but, I'm gonna read you the rest of this because I think it ties into what you're trying to yeah, say. But if is that most pizza in the world yes, is, is bland bad. and yes, mediocre? Most pizza is bad. And yes. can be improved. Yeah, so sure. Yes, yes, yes. I read that, and I I read the first sentence of this article, and I immediately lost all respect for Kenji Lopezalt. And then I read on, and I was like, okay, I guess I can see. Yeah. No, I I would agree that most things would taste better with acid and sweetness and ham. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's some of some of the other ones? Let's see. Uh, one of the developers says that cold brew sucks. Wrong. I, I totally disagree wrong. completely you have no with taste that. Buds. I think that you. Um, I don't. I wouldn't go as far as saying that th- this person has no taste buds. I would say that you probably just haven't had really good cold brew because cold brew. You get. I feel like the a big advantage of cold brew is that you taste all of the different flavors that it's go. It's the most in. flavorful coffee. Yes. Period. Yeah. I mean, you taste berries. You mm-hmm. taste. You know, 
any sort of um, cinnamon or spices nuts, that are chocolate. in it. Nuts, yeah. like yeah, that's how you get like mm-hmm. the best tasting coffee, in my opinion, is to yeah. is to cold brew it. Um, let's see. One of the video producers says raisins. Raisins are the worst. I'd rather eat the stems from a grape. Sure. <laughs> they, they are leathery, wrinkly little garbage trolls that offer no pleasure to anyone. That, <laughs> yeah. What do the raisins do to you? God. <laughs> I know. People have really strong opinions on these, these things. Mine is, um, I hate canned tuna fish. I think it's the most disgusting thing in the world, period, when I was little, and people would open canned tuna fish, I would gag. I think canned tuna fish, the canned tuna fish that I had when I was little, I think is cat food. Yeah. Um, but I've had really good, like, oil-packed Italian tuna that, it, you know, is canned and is, is really delicious. But it's not, like, shredded. It's, like, little it's tuna chunks, flays, right? little yeah. chunks. It's a little, it's a different thing. Yeah, but, but I think that, yeah, the stuff that I grew up on is not good. You know, it, it literally, like, almost induces vomit. To yeah. Me. All right, so do you want to hear the one that got me, like, yeah. that, that really made me crazy? Mm-hmm. Bon Mi is the most inferior sandwich on the planet. It's like eating a fistful of dust with a cucumber stuffed in the middle. Who hurt this guy? What terrible This is, this bon is a front-end developer, and I don't know. I, they, can't, where, I can't explain this. Where are they based out of? Uh, I feel like they have to be based out of like a, a food city, right? Yeah, they're, like, in, Cal- they're, in, they're San in San Francisco, Francisco and, right? and New York, I believe. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I Does this he is hate pate. This is mind-boggling. Like pate texture thing. I mean, banh mi. I have gone on the record as saying that banh mi is the most perfect sandwich. Like I, it incorporates spicy and vinegary and sweet and savory and, the and textures umami. are all different. And the, the crunchiness of the bread. You with have to have that crunchy like French baguette yeah, and with the the pate texture and the yeah and ham. Like I don't understand this. I think. This person, That's a very wrong opinion. I the feel worst like... sandwich is a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> this person, I think, maybe thought he was eating a banh mi and just was munching on a piece of chalk or something. Because there's no way. Ma- that this maybe is it right. was like um, a grab and go banh mi or something that was just like off. Yeah. It was just not a banh mi, and they just called it one because it's a grab and go place. Yeah, like I... a, like a banh mi at like Pret is not going to be a good banh mi. You yeah, know? you have to go to and get a, an authentic banh mi. Banh mi spot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there are a couple couple ones that I really agree with. I believe that Dunkin' Donuts coffee is the best, although only iced. Sure. I, I, I go to Dunkin' when I don't go to my my boy, uh, Chris. He's yeah. going to be here soon. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, you know, there's a bunch of other ones that are sort of popular. Bacon is the most overhyped food in history. Yes. I agree with that. I mean, and I love bacon, but it is one of the most mm-hmm. overhyped. Um. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. It's a really great, fun little article that you can Pull scroll on forever. Let's see. Oh, okay, one more. Muffins are the worst. Yes. They shouldn't <laughs> even have a place at a Ramana Inn grab-and-go type of breakfast buffet. They're Muffins. not cake. They're not breakfast. They're not delicious. They're, they're sad cupcakes, <laughs> yeah. is how I've always... <laughs> yeah, that, I agree a million percent. <laughs> I've never met a falafel that I've liked. Good ones are dry, bad ones are parched, desert 500 years into the future of this overwarmed planet. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> that guy just has some other issues that he's just blaming on falafels. Well, on that note, <laughs> I, I think that uh, we should take a break. We should regroup. 
<laughs> and we'll be back in a little bit. This is the Not A Foodie Show. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, at Not A Foodie Show. Check me out on Twitter, Instagram, at Mike Moranti. And I am at T-M-E-L-A, T-M-I-A-L-E. And we'll be back in a minute. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking for ways to reach a large, influential cooking and restaurant-loving audience? We've got multiple marketing solutions available. Contact info at notafoodie.com for more information. Welcome back to the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. I am Tom Miali. Mike Moranti is is not in the studio. He's on the phone. But, hey, everybody. Hey, there he is. Hey, Mike. <laughs> so, Mike, we've got guests on the phone with you. It's a very cool interview that we're doing. You're coordinating it. but I'm one-man producer in the studio today. Um, so it's springtime. Outdoor festivals are popping up all over the place. And I was scrolling through social media a couple weeks ago, and I saw this great new food festival that caught my eye, and I reached out to the people who are running it and uh, via Instagram, and I said, do you, you want to come on the show and talk about this amazing festival that you guys are putting together? And I got an instant message back, and we messaged a few times back and forth, and I found out that the producers of this event are, actually, one of them is my neighbor. Um, so on the phone, we've got Monique and Vanessa, who are the Crazy. founders of the North Meets South Farms Food and Drink Festival. So that is correct. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for having us over the phone. I know it's, it's so uh, lovely in here. It's like technology <laughs> and everything. It works. It's really great. It's like we're all together here around the fire, just talking. I mean, I'm in the studio coordinating all this, and I don't know. I'm like a one-man band right now, so if things get a little bit off the rails, it's my fault totally. So that's that. All right. We're used to things going awry. <laughs> yes. So so <laughs> tell us about this festival. It, the, the festival takes place um, out on Long Island, and North meets South. For those of us who don't know the geography of Long Island, what's the North meets South Farms Food and Drink Festival? Sure. So essentially, uh, North meets South is a marriage of the North and South Forks of Long Island, which essentially are completely polarized socially. (laughs) Um, And we thought it was important to bring those two forks together in a very central area, which uh, in the middle of all of it is a township called Riverhead. Um, And so there in Calverton, we are hosting a giant food and drink festival uh, where you'll get to know your neighbors. And not only will you get to know your neighbors, but you'll get to know a ton of local business owners that you may or may not have stopped at before. And that was really the the point of the festival to begin with. Um, I myself am an oyster farmer and my business partner is a face painter. And we were both talking about how great some of the events out here are on the east end of Long Island, but how it would be so much nicer to have, you know, an event where all small business owners could kind of come together and promote each other and get a chance to network and, you know, meet the people. And you can put a face with a name so you find out where you're getting your produce from or where your favorite restaurant is getting their produce from. Um, and we wanted to make it a community movement. And that's what we've been working on. It sounds, I mean, it really sounds awesome. And the location sounds great, though. So the location, if I'm if I'm correct, it's on a former golf course in Calverton, you said, right? 
So it's this giant, Correct. giant piece of land and it lends yeah. itself to, you know, giant festivals. Um, so yeah. what, what else is going on there besides the, the food and the drink and, and everything? So we've got like, um, obviously the food and drink is just a collection of the restaurants from the East End. We're going to have food trucks, a bunch of uh, people who are coming together for like a very special farmer's market. It's like a collection of different farmer's markets from the East End. And we're trying to get just like a mass of those people together um, along with um, bounce houses and pony rides. We have live music. Um, we're also going to have eating contests we're doing a uh, donut eating contest sponsored oh, by sign me up. donut company which is uh on the north fork and we're doing the a best shuckers contest which is going to be sponsored by um two local oyster farms that's um Anacott oysters and bantam oysters um, um, are you going to enter that? I am not going to enter that. I am. I mean, I'm a good oyster shucker. I think I can. You know, I don't know what my what my shuck per minute rate is, but it's pretty. It's pretty good. Um, Mike, I what was it for Valentine's Day? You got oysters, Mike? Yeah, I bought a oysters shucking knife, and I made this I was, did oysters and then salmon. Yeah, this was his, salmon. and it was his first shucking. Down. It was his first shucking experience, and I had to sort of walk him through it on the radio. Um, I got significantly better from the first one to the last one. I told him to just throw him out of his apartment window in Harlem, and then just go down and pick up. <laughs> it's it's probably easier that way. It's like what the Rome seagulls the do anyway. <laughs> So you've got a donut eating contest and an oyster shucking contest, which are two things that I'm, uh, I mean, th those, those hit two points right there for me. Uh, what else do you have yeah. going on? We've got a cornhole tournament that's going to be broken up into like a, a group for teenagers and a group for an adults. And uh, the winners of that will win themselves a pair of $400 cornholes, um, custom cornholes, which are pretty cool. Um, and then as far as like the children go we've got uh two guys that are dressed as farmers literally walking around corralling children and doing uh some interactive games with them like tug of war and potato sack races and parachute games very and then cool just tons of craft and artisan vendors a lot of different things all different categories you don't have uh, anybody really selling the same thing. So it's going to be a wide variety yeah. across the board. We have some really cool vendors that are like, we wanted to, you know, promote small business owners who are doing cool, interesting things. We've got um, Farmature at the event, which is uh, a combination of a husband and wife team who builds like specialized vintage pieces that are refurbished from vintage farm equipment, kind of like sculptors, I guess. Wow. And they're going to be bringing like a really adorable uh, vintage, I think it's a Ford truck with like an open back and they'll have this amazing display there. Uh, we also have these people called the Pallet Refinery. They're going to be um, showing all of the things that they do with refurbished pallets. They're going to have a special truck as well at the event, which is pretty interesting. Um, our large sponsor, Cheap Equipment. Uh, is going to be offering um, hay rides. They're also going to be raffling off one of their riding mowers. So oh, you very can win cool! Win a riding mower at the event, which is pretty cool. They're also going to have a bunch of really neat farm equipment just for people to check out at the event. We also have um, a bird of prey show happening both Saturday and Sunday. They're going to be um, 
owls and hawks and other raptors at wow. the um, at the event. They'll be there almost the entire day at their own booth, but they're especially doing um, a show from uh, 1130 to 1230 on Saturday and 1230 to 130 on Sunday. We've got um, a mix of different kinds of bands, anywhere from folk singers to country music, cover bands, jam bands, light rock, light rock, um, <laughs> yacht rock, if you will. Everybody. And we've got 101.7 The Beach. They're going to be live on Saturday at the event. Uh, giving away, giving away like free giveaway stuff. They they have not been specific with us what they're doing, but they're going to have a bunch of cool prizes um, and making announcements. Uh, well, next year we'll have before. next year we'll have our radio station there giving away things too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we're we want to get as many people in the community involved, and since you're my neighbor, that totally counts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how how do people how do people get there? That's it- what I was just going to say. The Hampton Jitney, um, we're working directly with them. They set up a microsite, which is really cool. So all of their pickup locations in New York City can purchase a round-trip ticket that also includes um, admission to the festival. And they will literally drop you at the door of the festival and then swing back and bring you back home uh, and it's all over. So everybody should definitely check out the Hampton Jitney for that. Um, and then we're work- working with the Long Island Railroad. The Long Island Railroad is actually um, increasing their schedule out to Riverhead that weekend. Oh, great. Um, people people can, can catch rides with the Long Island Railroad. And then they can actually uh, call a lift um, from the town of Riverhead. And with the code, I believe it's, it's Riverhead 2019. Uh, you can get a free ride from the, the station to the festival. And if you show your tickets at the event, you get $5 off at the door. Oh, wow. That's great. So so how do people buy tickets? What's the best way to do that? Is, is there a website that they can go to? Yeah, you can go to the Long Island Railroad and you'll find it on the weekend. Um, the It's like, I think it's called their their weekend getaways. And they should have those on uh, their platforms at their kiosks. on. on or- for tickets out to Riverhead, but tickets for the event, they can go to northforkevent.com and just follow the links to purchase tickets. It's right on the homepage. Great. Great. And what are, what's the cost of the ticket? $20 yeah, in advance and $20 then... $20 pre-sale and then it's 25 at the door cash. Great. Well, it includes a lot for that price and I think... Uh... I mean, I'm going to be there. Mike, are you going? Can we? Can you take the weekend off and come out? I'm going to be there on Sunday. I have Sundays off. All right, so I'll you, just press. I'll get out there early. I'll go to Riverhead. You'll pick me up, and then we'll go. We can do. We can Perfect. do a shuck and if off. You can't pick you up if you can't get picked up. You can get a free lift that weekend. Don't forget. Yeah. So NorthforkEvents.com is the website. Right. NorthforkEvents.com. Buy your tickets online or through Eventbrite. And what's the date? Uh, it's North. It's June 8th and 9th from 10 to 6. Uh, and don't forget, it's North Meat South Farms Food and Drink Festival in Calverton. That's a mouthful, but it, I mean, yes, I guess it it's, it's shorter than North Meat South Farms Foods, Drink, Music, Hayride, Shuck Fest. <laughs> and, and so, it's going to look great on a t shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Monique and Vanessa, thanks for calling in. Thanks for talking to us. Um, we'll see you, you out there June 8th and 9th out in Calverton. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We will be back in a minute. 
Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little adventure. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. And we are back with the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. Mike, we've got a guest in the studio today. Yes, uh, really cool. Really cool. Really, really cool, actually. <laughs> like all of our other guests are not really cool? No. All right. So we've got Claire Langan. Claire is a TV producer, a culinary producer, food stylist, and... Mother of dragons, breaker of chains, leader of the free men. And everything else. Hey, Claire. Hello. How are you? <laughs> so you, can't, you, you can't follow up that intro, right? <laughs> no, I, um, I, I, I'm, as a multi-hyphenate, I... Uh, just, just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mike, Mike, and how did you uh, meet Claire? So, when I was in seventh grade, I liked to play a lot of handball in Queens, <laughs> and I made. Wait, friends. can I just <laughs> let me just let me just stop and say that like all of Mike's. How did how did we get this guest? Well, I was in Costco. Well, yeah. Well, back in Queens. <laughs> yeah. So back in Queens. I was all playing right, handball, ahead, uh-huh. and I made friends with this girl, Andrea. Okay. And we're still friends 13 years later. No, 16, 15 whatever, years whatever. later. Yeah, you're old. And um, Andrea, she's industry also, but she works on TV now. Mm-hmm. And she did a, I don't know what her position was on Scraps, but she worked with Claire and told me about her and was like, she'd be great on your show. And I was like, oh, perfect. Great. Well, well Claire, I mean, <laughs> why don't you give um, a little bit of background on you know who you are what scraps is because <laughs> yeah. i don't think our listeners know um so you did you you started out uh, in working in kitchens or did you start out as a chef or or what yeah so i um i kind of had a f- interesting story to get here but i did work in restaurants in high school um but i've, I've always been cooking my whole life and i studied fashion undergrad and then i worked in private equity in new york here in new york and did then you go to MIT? You, no, I went to Marist College. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie, Potom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I moved to New York, um, worked in the business world for a few years, um, hated that, had a nose ring, got asked to take my nose ring out, and then I quit my job. <laughs> Um, and I went to culinary so, school. It, <laughs> well, it, well, first of all, you've run the gamut of New York yeah. careers, right? <laughs> exactly. Like fashion, yep. culinary, yeah. finance. Yeah. 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 Aside from Broadway, I've done it all. Um, so, and, yeah. <laughs> and if there's one career that doesn't tell you what you can and can't like wear, it's chefs, it's kitchens. It's, it's true. It's the only thing where you can make $100,000 of a neck tattoo. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. You could be a professional skateboarder. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so you started... Um, you went to culinary school, yep. and did you work in restaurants, or did you go straight into, like, food, uh, TV production, food production? Yeah. Private chef? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. So I graduated in 2011 from culinary school, which is just at the dawn of, like, the home cooking movement. Um, I was living in Park Slope at the time, and just kind of 
observe. I just was seeing a lot of people kind of moving a little bit away from restaurants and cooking in in their homes. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a big revival of that. Um, and I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to be a part of that world. Um, so yeah, I I didn't work in restaurants. Didn't work I've in never restaurants. worked in a restaurant. So. That's okay. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. That's it, it. The only time it really, as like a chef that's never worked in restaurants, the only time it's bad is when you go on food cooking shows. Any other time, it's okay. I would argue that's not true. But he's talking about shows. competitive. Yeah, yeah like shows. No, but yeah. I, I still would argue that that I, I can mean, hold we, my own to that. We could just run the numbers of like personal chefs that have won chop yeah. compared to restaurant chefs. That, that, that's a whole that's other just podcast. This, this yeah. statement yeah. I'm making. Um, well, so yeah, so I I kind of went the untraditional route. I started personal chefing, um, and I was also teaching cooking classes all around the city at a few different cooking schools, um, and food styling. So I was, I had a lot of jobs. Um, yeah. It was a lot. It was like five or six jobs. I was like working at Smorgasburg. Like I was oh, wow. doing all the things. So um, yeah. So I started getting in, really into food styling um, and video production. Um, and this was like bef kind of the dawn of the hands and pans videos. Oh yeah. Which was like, you know, a big deal. To, for for so, anyone yeah. who doesn't know the hands and pans videos, those are the, you know, the delish videos yeah. and things like that. Tasty. Where yeah, Tasty does them where there's a, that like joyous little music and, you know, an egg gets cracked and all of a sudden it's fried in a pan and things like that. Yeah. That was my world. That was your world. So you yeah. produced those videos? Did you so, invent these videos? No. I was like, <laughs> I was, I think my title, I was like food stylist assistant. I was also a prop stylist. So anytime you see like bowls or like set decoration, I was doing that as well. And then I was doing some, some light producing. Um, it was a small production company. So it was kind of all hands on deck. But I was still very junior at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for a few years, um, but I really missed cooking. I missed being more hands-on with food. So I um, left to go freelance, and I was freelance for like two weeks before I got called from Sir Latab to audition to be a cooking teacher there. Ah, so yeah. like in the in stores and yeah, oh, in the you got like headhunted on LinkedIn. Um, it, so actually, it's a funny story. My friend. Um, got uh, in a bike injury and couldn't teach his class and f was going to be out of wasn't be able to wasn't going to be able to teach for a few months and he was like I need they, they need a replacement for me and I had taught one cooking class and they didn't I don't think they really knew that um Fake I, it till you make it. yeah I was like <laughs> assisting classes but I went in I auditioned and then I got the job Nice. Yeah. Selling, you know, high-end pots and pans at Sir Latov via Selling. your culinary skills. Yeah, and, and teaching a lot of classes. Um, it was the busiest cooking school in the in the company, so we did, like, four classes a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Are these, the like, the free classes, or these are the, the paid, yeah. like, you come in? Yeah, okay. they're, like, paid, but it's, like, you know, young couples on a Friday night. Right, right, right. Date night, seafood. Yeah, I had a friend of mine yeah. who, who ran the um, the kitchen at William Sonoma. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a similar thing where they're always they've got you know chefs coming in and yeah. you know cooking the classes. Yeah, it's it's a really popular model now. It brings people into stores. Um, but I I loved teaching, and I ended up there for about four years. And I left. My last role was the resident chef, so I was the head of the cooking school. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, that's it, great. For, and is for uh, was is it national? Mm -hmm. So the top. So you were yep. like the head of the cooking school for all of the United States or just uh, for New York? Just the New York store. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're based in, the company's based in Seattle, um, but the cooking school and 57th in Columbus Circle is the only cooking school in New York. And there's a couple other stores around the okay. area. Okay, yeah. Wow, that's great.
Yeah. And what, so what did you do after that? I mean, I, you, I know you, you went into production and you do mm -hmm. a lot of like test kitchen stuff or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I, at the end of my time at Cirilla Top, I was really feeling the itch to do something new, um, as you do in this business. Um, and I was thinking I wanted to own, open my own cooking school. I was really kind of just grasping at straws on what my next move was. And then, um, my longtime colleague, Joel Gameron, who is actually the national chef of Surlatop. Oh, okay. So he's, he is actually the head chef of Surlatop. Um, he, you know, had mentioned that uh, his TV show, Scraps, was just greenlit um, for production um, in partnership with Katie Couric. And mm -hmm. I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and so for those, of, for those of our listeners that don't know what Scraps is, can you sort of give us the elevator pitch? What's sure. Scraps? Uh, so Scraps is a food and travel show about food waste. So we go around the country and we throw dinner parties in unexpected places with unexpected ingredients. Um, and it's essentially like a road trip uh, story. Um, so Joel it partners with a local chef and they kind of like source ingredients, go on adventures, and then they throw this dinner party and surprise people with like, wow, did you know this uh, pasta sauce is made out of carrot tops? Like that That's kind of great. thing. Yeah. That's great. We, um, we actually just had um, Matt, uh, Matt Joswiak. Matt Joswiak, He's who's the, the, uh, the founder of Rethink Food. Mm -hmm. So Rethink uh, basically goes out and gets food waste and food scraps from <laughs> restaurants, from cafeterias, corporate cafeterias, and um, puts them together, runs a, a kitchen to, to help feed those who are underserved and as, food insecure. Food insecure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts, mm -hmm. but it's also something that is... I mean, it's it's a huge issue. It's a huge yeah. issue of uh, of people just eating what's comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. Like, it, you need to get out of that comfort zone. You're taught that, like a carrot. I, I think that the the biggest food waste for me are the, the little baby carrots. Like, oh yeah. People are always talking about baby carrots. They're the worst. It's just carrots that are shaved down to like nothing. They don't. There's not a special little baby carrot patch <laughs> no. in the corner somewhere. Baby carrots need to die. Yes. Um, and then it's not like they're. Plucking them like early, yeah, like early. oh, like, this is like a baby carrot, and this is like a full-grown carrot. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> yeah. I I would say I would say that people are definitely becoming more aware of it. But forty percent of the food in our country is wasted, so it's still an issue. <laughs> wow, that's yeah, such an obscene that's amazing. Number. I don't know. I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the on the show before, but that's how the Not a Foodie blog really got started ten years ago. Was I became infatuated? I mean, our logo is a pig. I became infatuated with. Um, with the pig and how in m other cultures we they eat every part of the pig, oh, yeah. um, and in the United States, especially ten years ago, it was well, you know, you get some pork chops and a pork loin here and there, and you know, a roast, and no one knows where these pieces come from the pig. No one knows where you know how the sausage is made, literally. Um, so we did a I did a series where I was eating every piece of a pig over the course of a year. I tried to eat a whole pig. And and I, I succeeded, himself. I think. That's <laughs> that's extremely impressive. <laughs> it was fun. It was yeah. delicious. Yeah. High in protein. Um, he, but he wrote a blog post called like how to brine a whole pig, and it's still like the the most clicked on thing that yeah I, like ever. I stopped. I, I guess we I got ninety percent of the way through the pig by like October. And then I just decided to go out and buy a whole pig and have a pig roast. Yeah. So yeah. that's oh, yeah. where that blog post came from. Oh my gosh. I um have you ever had I call it face bacon. Oh, Guanchale. Guanchale. what do you think we call it? That's yeah. what we call it. Tom makes his face, own. Oh, it's the 
fast. Oh my god, I make it, it. I make it in my basement. I take it, I take the jowl and that cure is, it. And, yeah. That's if that's a basement I want to go right. in. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I have this like when I moved out of Manhattan into Queens and I was like, I have a basement now. What am I gonna do with it? So I built a, this little makeshift wine cellar, which really just has some homemade wine that I made. I mean, you know, it's got maybe a dozen or so bottles of like good wine, mm -hmm. but the rest of it is just homemade wine and it's a curing chamber, really, oh for for like just dried sausages and guanciale and oh, things like that. Oh God. That's good. That should be, I mean, that needs to be a question on our, on the show for every guest. What is your favorite part of the pig? Yeah. <laughs> no That's... vegans allowed on yeah. our show. <laughs> so anyway, so Scraps is a show, we're getting way <laughs> off topic, but Scraps is a show that tackles food waste and you yeah. worked on that. Is, that. is that airing now or is it? Are they doing another season? So we've had two seasons. Mm -hmm. um, the most recent season uh, aired this fall, uh, this past fall, so 2018, leading up into the holiday season. Um, and yeah, it's been two two years of fun. Um, we we travel around the country like it's like a band. So we shoot for about three months, um, and I'm kind of on the job for about four or five months. Um, of that. So yeah, so I've kind of filled my time with other jobs in between. Um, but I'm actually moving to California and it will Woo! not be um, continuing with scraps, which I'm super bummed about. Yeah. But they're my forever fam and like I'm but, all, yeah. But they are doing another season. I'm not I'm not sure about that. I, okay. I can't speak to that. Um, hopefully they yeah do. hopefully I hope so. Um, but yeah the scrapper fam and Andrea is part of that family is uh, super special. How, uh, what's your favorite thing about San Francisco? You're, you're moving yeah. to San Francisco. Yeah, like, I am. What's your, what's your favorite, I'm sorry, that was not a complete thought. The <laughs> yeah. thought what, was, what's, what's, what's your, your favorite, favorite thing? thing? What's Period. the thing that you are looking forward to the most eating-wise, yeah. like food-wise yeah. in San Francisco? So that's a really good question. So um, I kind of joke that I'm moving to a state for a fruit. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I've had a few different... Um, culinary experiences in my life that kind of stick with you and a lot of them have happened in California and one of them I, I'll never forget this I was walking first time I was there I was walking down Market Street which is like the downtown yep. you know and somebody handed me a strawberry and I think this is maybe a I think maybe this has happened to other people I don't think I'm the only one this has happened to but somebody was just handed me a strawberry and I was like well I'm gonna eat this strawberry and I, I'm eating the strawberry. I'm like, this could be dirty. I don't know. I mean, I could I could sense why it was a life changing right. experience because yeah. there was it was dosed. It was obviously it was dosed. It was, it was, it was a psych psychedelic it was strawberry. Dipped um, in LSD strawberry. Yeah, yeah. but I, I was like, you know, I'm gonna take a chance on this. <laughs> Hands down, best strawberry of my life. Wow. It was like red to the core. Yeah. And uh, and then even just recently, um, I had uh, a little citrus tasting around the Ferry Building Farmers Market. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I tried maybe five or six different varieties of of oranges. Kat Kinsman wrote a blog post yeah. where she went all over the city and bought like a hundred different types of oranges and did like a power ranking. Oh, them. I need to, yes. It, it's a ridiculous, it's very Kat Kinsman. It's like over the top yeah. and like very silly, but it's like, she but really, awesome. yeah. yeah. She but literally well went around and, and did it. Yeah, I believe it. Cool. There's so there's so many more varieties. So um, yeah, and then like every, every bite is like, no, this is the best, this is the best. Um, so I would say I'm really excited for the produce. Yeah. Um, my new home has an avocado tree, a lemon, right. a lemon tree. 
That's what I so, see. That's yeah. what I really want. Is I don't care about an avocado tree. I want a, I want citrus. If, I want to just grow citrus, which is something that obviously you can't do here. No, I mean Claire, my great grandmother had a fake plastic it, orange tree. If you grow house. your own avocados, you won't have to pay nine dollars for avocado toast, and you might be able to buy your own home. I think I could. I think between the sourdough, like so, it, it, it is like kind <laughs> this of. This is something you've thought out. Well, exactly. so I have a. Fr- it's, it's like I have this friend in Berkeley who has a starter that's like been a sourdough starter that's been oh, kind of yeah. going for like I don't know how long. And I just DM'd her last night, like, can I get some of that? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I think I could, I mean, I'm gonna save at least twenty dollars a month in avocados. <laughs> I think. I think. <laughs> yeah. With that's the great. with the sourdough starter though, I think you have to make it every day. No, like... you have to you just have to let it live. You have to sort of feed it yes. every day. You yeah. don't have to make it every day, but you just have to like Make sure that it's got enough sugars in it, I guess, because the yeast eats the sugar. Yeah, it, it's pretty yeah. simple once you get get it going. Yeah. Although have... I, I did read a tragic story about a friend of mine who had like, you know, a 50 year old starter that, you know, she went away on vacation and it died. You can bring him back to life. That Yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was doing CPR on yeah, her you starter. Yeah, you can John Stark your starter. Uh, <laughs> I, I always uh, think That's of... That's the second Game of Thrones references. There's two trigger. episodes yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always think of in Kitchen Confidential, the... Not the yeah, I guess the pastry chef, the bread baker, would always like be too hungover to like come into work. He'd be texting or calling Anthony Bourdain and be like, please feed it. Please. Like, I need <laughs> you to feed it. But like with more Anthony Bourdain language than when yes. I stand the right Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed the starter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So citrus, avocados. I mean, sourdough. Sourdough. Yeah. yeah. I artichokes. mean, I, I, I think artichokes. Artichokes. Yeah. Artichokes. Yeah. You don't really, you don't see a lot of them here. Huh? I don't know where they come from. They're weird. When if if you see them, just Google like avocado. Yeah. It's tree. it's is it yeah. a flower or, 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 or it's I think it's it look I think it blooms into a flower if you leave it, but it's it's just like it's weird. Yeah. yeah it's very weird to yeah. see. Um, I read a, I read this book, oh, I forget the name of it, but it's, it was a book that it was an Italian book about ingredients that was translated by the author's husband after she died. And it's just basically chapters on how to pick the best carrot or oh, whatever, yes. but so how to pick the best artichoke. And she just, instead of just saying, oh, this is how you do it. You got to look for this and that. It's like five pages. Every other fruit or every other fr- piece of produce is like one page or a half a page. This is like four or five pages of describing the artichoke and it's like a love affair of the artichoke. I love the artichoke. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of food available all year, and it's it's inherently local. So yeah, it just tastes better. No, I yeah. agree. Well, I mean, and once you have once you have a fresh local strawberry, you never want to have. Mm-hmm. You're never going to eat a strawberry in January. No, you know, once you have sure. that fresh strawberry that comes at the right time of year. You're never going to get, you know, some of those Chilean imported strawberries mm-hmm. that are flavorless and white on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, those depress me. Yeah. I, I would rather not. I would rather just abstain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous because I, it, it, how like those things um, just impact you so much. I remember, and I've, I've told you this before, the first time that I had arugula, oh, like yeah. from a farm that was like in season and fresh and fresh picked. And I was like, this is arugula? This is what arugula is supposed to taste like? This yeah. is it's completely different. And it's it's silly to say, but I think if people if people paid more attention to what's in season um and stopped eating things that are sort of imported from all over the place, mm-hmm. which is hard to do in New York or in the Northeast, you know, you'd be eating turnips all winter. Yeah. Um but you know, if you just are a little bit more conscious of it, I, yeah, I think it, I, it makes a huge impact. I agree. I mean that's 
that was like one of the first things I learned when I started cooking was like I learned about the seasons and I was like kind of shocked to find out how how narrow our seasons here in New mm -hmm. York are. Um, but even friends, I have friends that are not as much into food, but like I see them kind of realizing like last night I had a, a rutabaga tagliatelle dish at um, Olmstead. Mm -hmm. oh, nice. And my friend was like, but this is a winter vegetable. I'm like, well, it's not quite spring here yet. Like yeah. I'm not. I'm not certain I know where all this produce is from. I think it's local, but rutabaga in May is not unheard of here. And and so. rutabaga is also a vegetable that you put in. The, the root cellars were developed yeah. for a reason. You know, yes. you can harvest in the fall and winter and put them in there, and they'll last for you know for months. Yeah, it's like um, saying a, a potato is seasonal, which it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, yeah, it's I know. Like, uh, yeah, it's true. And apples, I'm like big on. Yeah, people don't realize like those things are from last year. Yeah. Oh. Just hanging. No, yeah. I know. I'm apples have to be fresh. Um any any stone fruit has to be fresh and local for me. Um strawberries are one of those things where I only eat strawberries, you know, if they're like completely red through, ripe and delicious and and in season. Like I can't eat winter strawberries. I think they're the most yeah. disgusting thing. Well, anyway, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think we're running out of time here, right? So Yeah. Well, we can do we can do whatever we want. It's our show. There's... Will you um will you stick around for uh, another segment? And sure. Just hang yeah. out. Yeah. It, it's the last segment. It's a fun one we do every week. Sure. I'll, I'll All stick. All right. <laughs> Great. Well, you're listening to the Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, six twenty a.m. at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Plug your Instagram. Oh, my Instagram is my name, Clara Langan, which is. Claire without an I. So it's C-L-A-R-E-L-A-N-G-A-N. All right. Awesome. We'll, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. We are back with the Not A Foodie Show, Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. And Not A Foodie Show on your podcast dial. Go download our podcast. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Everywhere. Mike. Yes, sir. We've got, uh, we've got Claire. She stayed with us. Claire Langan is uh, a TV culinary producer, food stylist, and everything. And she decided to stick around for our favorite segment. Let me set the scene for you. It's Saturday. You just finished a long day of recording a radio show, and now you're ready to just relax with a drink. Mm -hmm. What are you drinking tonight, Claire? Um, I'm drinking a Mezcal Paloma. Oh, I love Mezcal. Yeah. I mean, it's a little played out, but it's it's kind of all the things for me because it's smoky, and then the citrus, the grape. We love citrus. We know this. Yes. Um, the grapefruit. It's, it's like, it's very, it feels very early summer. Well, can I just say that I was stalking your Instagram and I saw that you have an agave plant. I do. And you're in your new place in California. Yeah. And the first thing I thought of is I would rip that thing out and just make mezcal out of it. Yeah. I, so you do have to trim the base, yeah. um, which I'm learning about. But um, I'm going to do a little bit of deep diving into that because I think I could either extract the agave and just use it as a sweetener. I'm not sure if it's like aloe. You just like open it up. Yeah, I think it is. I think it yeah, is. Okay. I think the syrup is that way. I, but but I think um, mezcal they they roast they it, and smoke, smoke it. it. Yeah. yeah. 
So that's what gives it that that smoky taste. Oh, that's that sounds awesome. I am a huge fan of the Paloma, and I am a I'm on Team Mezcal over Team Tequila any day. Um, so there you go, Mike. What are you drinking? So last night in the middle of my shift, I was very thirsty, mm-hmm. but not like slam a seltzer in the corner thirsty. I had like a craving, and it was for an Aperol spritz. An Aperol spritz. Yes. And like it, it's a little early for them, but it's starting to get nice out. That's, I, that is a that's a summertime drink. It is totally a summertime drink, and it it's not really like a end of the night drink. It's like a middle of the day drink. Oh yeah, totally. But um, it just I just have to listen to my body. It's it's the Bud Light. <laughs> it's, it's the Bud Light of uh, springtime and cocktails. And chief, if you will. <laughs> the, yes, yes. The the Bud Light of the Amalfi Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yes. It is. Um, we talked a little bit about this, but it, I love the Aperol spritz. Not the drink. I love the idea and the marketing concept behind it because no one was drinking Aperol spritzes five years ago, and then all of a sudden they just went on this just carpet bombing like marketing campaign. In, in where Italy after work, people say, "Do you want to go get a spritz?" Yeah, because it's like you just have a nice drink. You you know you're not going to get too drunk, and then you go home and do your thing. Yeah, they're but they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Like it. In Vegas, you see um, pic- pictures of them just everywhere because they know they know that their market is you know it's hot weather. It's like it's a perfect poolside drink, and it's just and it's vaguely European, so people feel fancy drinking them. That, yeah. That's how I'm gonna uh, batch out my Aperol spritzes now by the pitcher. By the pitcher, good idea. Pitcher. I was gonna. I yeah. thought you would say by the pool in Vegas because that's how I'm gonna batch out my Aperol spritzes. <laughs> Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink a um, I'm gonna cheat this week. I know his eyes are rolling because I cheat every week. I'm gonna bite off of you from last week. Do you remember what you what you chose last a week? Ramos gin fizz. A Ramos gin fizz. So after after we recorded last week, um, one of, one of my favorite bartenders at my favorite bar was leaving. Actually, two of my favorite bartenders were leaving. So I went in there and I was like. Let me see what what is the last drink that you should make me, and I said I'm gonna make you work for it, and it was a Ramos gin fizz. And I watched I watched my friends, the bartenders, make their Ramos gin fizz and put exquisite like amounts of was detail. Was he happy to make it? it? Because... He was extremely happy. In fact, he wanted to make me like three more. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had my son's little league game like right after that, so I couldn't have like three or four. You know, I gin had to fizzes. operate a vehicle. Yeah, but he he was. Like he put he such exquisite detail into like making this cocktail. And I you know me, I never shy away from a project. I mean, I cure bacon, face bacon in my basement for yeah. Christ's sake. Um, so I went online and I ordered some orange blossom water from Amazon. <laughs> And it just arrived, actually, today. I, I like that you compare shaking a drink to making guanciale. <laughs> they, they are both equally projects. <laughs> this is, I mean, uh, making a Ramos and Fizz is a project. And it's, <laughs> so I, I went to the supermarket. My wife went to the supermarket and got um, some cream. We ordered all of the ingredients. And now I am going to master the Ramos Gin Fizz. And I think that is going to be my drink for, for this evening. Okay, but now name another one because I'm oh, not. Oh, come on. Name another one? I'm not going to just copy and paste last week's blog post into this week. All right, I'm going to have a um, Mezcal Paloma, <laughs> which I don't know if you know, but it's citrusy and smoky. 
Um, no, I if I have to name another one. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. Let's I'm, see. It's less work for me. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking to last like week's blog post like, and copy and paste. And I'm just gonna change. I'm not even gonna change it. I'm gonna be like you, Mike's cocktail. Mike's cocktail. I'm gonna be like Tom abstain this week. Well, I mean, my I do have um I have a jam packed day on Saturday. So I probably will, or, you know, when this airs, so I'm probably not going to have time to make the Ramos Gin Fizz actually, you know, like right away. I will, I'll probably just have a very dry, very cold martini because. Vesper martini it is. Okay. Uh, no, no, not a Vesper martini. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's uh, that's about all the time we have for, for the show. Thank you so Claire much. Claire Langan. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for joining us. This was awesome. This is the best. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram. We are at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, Claire, who are you again on Instagram? My name, Claire Langan. Claire Langan. No, I. C L A R E L A N G A N. Is that right? Look at that. I could spell. All right. Until next week, this is the Not a Foodie Show. Bye. See ya.